reconciliation. Or heaven. I would love to talk to you about heaven. Maybe instead, though, we can talk about mercy. Or love. Or Jesus. You know, I'd, I'd rather talk about joy. Or fellowship. Or unity. Or really, just anything else than what we're going to talk about. I'd love to talk about demon possession or divorce and remarriage or maybe we can just sit here and I can read through Revelation. That would be better. Maybe we can just tackle some tough church issues. That's what I'd rather do. Anything than what we're really going to talk about this morning. And it's all in Acts chapter 19. Paul is going to end up in Ephesus and ultimately he's going to come face to face with a topic that most really don't want to preach on. Death. It's real. It's certain. And it's happening as much here in our world as it was in Ephesus. Let me just remind you all It's where we're all headed. In the time that it takes to say this eight-second sentence, 16 people in the world will die. That's right. Every second, two people will die. That's 120 people in a minute. In fact, during the course of our worship service this morning, nine thousand people will die. Does that make you sad? Terrified? Maybe even a little depressed? Should you be depressed or sad? Ought you be terrified? Can you be afraid? The question I want to ask, and I think the question that Acts 7, Acts 19 is going to answer, is how should Christians view death? The stats are overwhelming. 100% of people will die. In various ways, in different times, at different ages, but the fact remains is that we're all going to die. And Acts 19 is going to give us a very interesting way to look at that. It opens up with uh, Paul going to Ephesus, and while he's there, he's going to meet with some individuals. They're going to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit. And then after that, we're going to get a little bit more of what's going on in that city as Paul is going through there. Paul spends several years in Ephesus, and while he's there, he sees some amazing things happen. In fact, I want to read Acts chapter 19, verse 11. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. I mean, this is powerful. 
God is doing mighty things and the city of Ephesus is being rocked by this. People are hearing about Jesus and they're excited about it. In fact, so much so that there's some other people who want to get on this whole healing gig type of thing. And so there's a chief priest there by the name of Siva. He has seven sons. And his seven sons say, hey, let's do this too. So they decide that they're going to go around and basically mimic what Jesus, what Paul says when he goes out to people to heal them. He says, in the name of Jesus, be healed. So they start going around doing this. They end up entering into the house of a demon-possessed man. If you don't believe me, you can read this. It's in Acts chapter 19. This is a fantastic story. For those of you who think the Bible is boring, you need to read Acts chapter 19. The seven sons of Siva, say that seven times fast, go into the house of this demon-possessed man and they decide they're going to cast him out. In the name of Jesus! Leave! And the demon says, I know who Jesus is! And I know who Paul is. But who are you? And they say, in Hebrew, or in Aramaic, uh uh-oh. We don't know what they said, but it involved a lot of grunting and moaning. Because as Acts 19 tells us, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding from the beating they got from this guy. What a crazy story. How hard does this guy have to hit him that their clothes fall off, they're bleeding, and they all seven come running out of the house? Now, now I'm going to tell you, that's a funny story. I love thinking about how those guys thought that they could come in and just say, oh, in the name of Jesus, trying to get all the credit for themselves. And this uh, demon-possessed man says, I don't know who you are. And they come running out. Well, that's funny to me. But it wasn't funny to them. Not in the least bit. And not only was it not humorous to those seven guys running back to their house to get clothes and bandage their wounds, for the whole city of Ephesus, they took this seriously. I want you to listen to this in verse 17. It says, when this became known of of the beating of the seven sons of Siva, the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Do you see how that one instance started to change? Not just that family, but all the people who had heard about this. This started to change their thinking. These people who had practiced this magic, this sorcery, they said, I'm giving this up. Now think about the number here. Usually, when books get burned, 
It's done by a government that says you're not allowed to have these. But these people weren't told to give up their books. They chose to. But they're not really smart. They don't have common sense. Because those books, those scrolls, were very valuable. 50,000 drachma. A drachma was similar to a denarius in that it was worth about one day's wages. So I busted out my calculator. In New Mexico, right now, the minimum wage is $9.20. If you work for eight hours, that total for one day is $73.60. But that wasn't one day wage that those scrolls were worth. It was 50 thousand you take 7360 times 50,000 and you end up with a bonfire costing somewhere in the neighborhood of 3.6 million dollars these guys are stupid why are they stupid i can tell you why because they should have taken the books And if they had any common sense, any business sense, they would have taken them to half-price books and got $1.8 million for them. Or they could have sold them elsewhere. But the Gospel is not about common sense. This is a beautiful story of repentance. Repentance right, is very simply explained with a different number. 180. Not dollars. Degrees. You see, to them, there was no amount of money that was worth allowing those scrolls and that material to end up in the hands of somebody else who might read them and believe them they realized that those scrolls compared nothing to what was really at stake. And the thing is, they weren't the only ones who believed that. There was somebody else who saw that those scrolls represented only a small portion of something so much bigger. But he wasn't concerned about spiritual issues he was still hung up on the financial. So let's continue picking up as the mob picks up in verse 23. About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together along with the workmen in uh, the workmen in related trades and said, Men, you know we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. So, this is where Demetrius is going to start. He's going to try to shift gears 
and turn this into a religious issue. But for right now, in, the, in, in a private setting with the people around him who are all about making the drachma, he says, listen guys, we are losing business. You saw what happened to the scrolls. They are getting burned. The more people who start believing in this crazy guy Paul, the more money we're going to lose. But then he's going to make a turn on it. He says, there is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. One guy is threatening their entire religious superstructure and the money that they make. Because Paul is going around talking about Jesus and they're seeing power displayed. These guys get really scared. What are we going to do? What happens next? We've got to protect our business and our livelihood and the way we want to live so we've got to do something about this, Paul. And from there, the story gets more interesting because the mob gets more and more crazy. They get together and they go where all good mobs go, out into the streets and into public, and ultimately they end up where almost everything seems to happen around that area is, is their local coliseum. In Ephesus, there still are partial remains of this amphitheater there. It holds approximately 25,000 people, and they're all in there. There's confusion, and there's screaming. In fact, Luke writes that many of them were there, didn't even know why they were there. They just saw a screaming crowd and said, let's go. And so they end up there yelling and screaming and they are furious. They have been riled up. They've been told that the goddess Artemis has been discredited and they are literally looking for blood. And where is Paul? Well, we don't know exact, his exact location, but based on on the conversation that he has that's recorded in Acts 19, and based on what we know from a little bit of archaeology, there's reason to believe he's a lot closer than you think. You see, within those Colosseums, they held a lot of different events, and many times things went the wrong way. And in order to protect different individuals, even high-ranking officials who might be passing an edict that wasn't quite as pleasing to the ear for many of the common folk, there was a place in that Colosseum that was a safe room where they could, be, they could go and be locked down and all the crazy people outside couldn't get inside. And there are many people believe that Paul was probably in that place right there. He had gone to the Colosseum with everyone else. He got shoved in that room and he hears the crowd and they're screaming and they're going crazy and they want blood. And you know what Paul wants to do? He wants to leave the room. 
He wants to go out to the crazy, screaming mob and say, let me tell you about Jesus and what He's doing. Acts 19, Luke records that the disciples wouldn't let Paul go. I imagine that it might have taken force to hold Paul back and say, Paul, you got to stay here. And Paul says, no, I want to go. I need to get out there. In fact, it even goes so far to say is that there was an official who sent a note that, that begged Paul, don't go out there. They will kill you. But that's where Paul wants to be. It's where Paul wants to be. Right there. Telling about Jesus. And risking his life. It's a great story. And I love Acts chapter 19. I've so enjoyed going through all of Acts. But this one is especially interesting. But then you kind of say, well, neat story but it doesn't mean anything for us today. But maybe it does. And this is where the sermon gets really hard. Maybe for you, but really hard for me. And I've wrestled with this. I've I've prayed about this. I've visited with Lance and the elders about this. And I said, I'm really struggling with how do I share this message that is so radical and crazy and countercultural? And how do I do it in such a way that it doesn't come across as aloof or disingenuous or uncaring? Artemis, the the Greek goddess. She was the goddess of safety and health. According to mythology, she had been given permission from Zeus to kill any newborn babies that she wanted to. And so, for those who worshipped her, especially childbearing women, they would go and give offerings to Artemis in order to please her and make her happy. Because if she was happy, then maybe your little baby would be born healthy. But it didn't just include pregnant women. It included all the people of Ephesus. People who had ailments and issues and diseases. People who had broken bones and demon possession. And every physical ailment. They would go and they would say, Artemis, make me well. And they would give their gifts. And they would bow down because that's what they wanted to do. And inside this crazy mob are people who are saying, we want to be well. We want to be healthy. And if anybody threatens that, we will kill them. And I wonder... I wonder if we don't find ourselves 
thinking a little bit like the worshipers of Artemis. Well, we don't have the temple that we go to to worship Artemis. We don't give gifts. But how many times do we put the physical ahead of the spiritual? How many times do we find ourselves, how many times do I find myself, not you, how many times do I find myself spending time in prayer to God in almost every part of my prayer has to do with people who are sick and people who have disease and people who have broken bones and people who have stories of cancer. It's most of my prayer. And I'm not saying that's all bad. But there's got to be something more. I don't want people to hear my prayer on behalf of all the physical issues that are going on and walk away and think that the story of Jesus is about what we have right here and the bodies that we're in. And there are those of you who are going through some terrible physical issues. And I do pray for you. And I hope you're praying for them. But I want to challenge us to pray not just for the physical issues that they have, but how God can be glorified while we're still in these bodies. And that even as you're going through some heartache in your life, I want to tell you there is something more. I want to share a story with you of a man by the name of Howie Bush. Howie Bush uh, was just out of law school uh, in the early 90s, and he began working uh, in different areas and started to, to represent several different NFL players as he would write out uh, contracts and negotiations. And one day, through a mutual friend, he got a call, a call from a guy who said that he was uh, wanting someone to draft a contract for him for NFL Europe about some type of apparel that he wanted uh, the NFL Europe to wear, and he agreed to do it. He was a pretty young guy, had a young family, a little baby who had just been born, and so when the time came up for payment, Kevin, the one who had asked him to do the deal, said, I can pay you the several thousand dollars for this, or I can give you equity in my company. And Howie Bush said, I'll take the money, I don't want the equity. Well, nobody's heard of Howie Bush, and probably most of you don't know who Kevin Plank is. But the business that Kevin Plank had started in, and by the way, the phone call that Kevin made was from his grandmother's basement where he was living and running his business. Can you imagine getting a call from a guy who's working in his grandma's basement, and he says, I'll give you equity in my company? Howie Bush said, no thank you, I'll take the cash. He got the several thousand dollars. It was gone pretty quick. But Kevin's Plank, Kevin Plank's business grew. And everybody has heard of that name. It's called Under Armour. 
Under Armour is now worth $7 billion. If Howie Bush had said, I don't want the few thousand dollars, I'll take the equity, that equity today would be worth right now $250 million. And he turned it down because he couldn't see that there was something greater ahead. When asked about that, as he told that story, why didn't you take the equity? Why did you take the few thousand dollars? It wasn't, I didn't have a crystal ball into the future. It was this. I talked to my wife, and my wife said, we don't know this guy. We don't know what's going to happen with that company. Let's take the money. And for people who don't know Jesus, they will sell their souls to get a little bit of what they think will make them happy here. But that's not us. I want to close out by reading just a small portion from a book I've been using the last several months, How to Start a Riot by Jonathan Stormont. He says this, as churches, we should not be a group of people who tout that church is a safe and fun place for the whole family. Listen to this. He says, Jesus' death wasn't to free us from dying, but to free us from the death, from the fear of death. Jesus came to liberate us so that we could die up in front and then live. Jesus Christ wants to take us to places where only dead men and women can go. That's who we are. I intentionally skipped over Acts chapter 19, the first few verses. But do you want to know what Acts 19, 1-10 was about? It was about people who when Paul went to visit them, he said, have you had the Holy Spirit? And they said, we don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. And he says, well, you need to get baptized. Don't lose sight of what Paul is really saying. He says, you need to die. You need to be buried. Your baptism is death so that you can live. Because once you've died, then you don't have to be afraid of death anymore. That's why baptism is so important. You go down and you say, I've died! And there is nothing that can take away from what I have in Jesus. Folks, when we choose Jesus and we get baptized, we die and say, it's over. We're dead. I've already died. What's worse than that? And from then on, we can let go of our fear. And we don't have to be worried about cancer. We don't have to be worried about illness. Because there's something greater. And our lives ought to reflect that. And in our prayers... We need to let others hear that we aren't afraid 
Because Jesus has given us victory. We've had a lot of people die in the last few weeks. Right back here. And because of that, they don't have to be afraid again. And if you have been immersed, if you have been put down in the grave and you've come back up again, but maybe Satan is still trying to keep you in the physical, don't forget what Jesus did for us. And while we can pray for the hurting in our family, we can also know that God has a plan that really gets going the moment they leave this earth. And I'm excited about that. And I hope you are too. May we be a people who show Jesus to this world and we can show them that there is real life in Him. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you are living a scared life, if you've gotten caught up in the physical, there is a God who sent His Son who offers life. And that's something to celebrate. May we leave this place and show Jesus to this world. Let's do it as we stand and sing.